From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Fresh Connell welcoming our radio and online listeners live at 9 a.m. Central Time at q90fm.com slash listen. Friday, August 4th on the calendar. And we'll remind you in maybe an hour, hour and a half, to check out our YouTube channel. Going to have uh, our podcast, a video version at q90fm radio. On YouTube. Hello, Mary. Hello. Welcome to Stand Up for the Truth, everyone. Um, August 4th. Yeah. Summer's going by really fast, as is life itself, actually. The culture is winding down, but things are speeding up. So I'm not sure I can reconcile that. But when I was a kid, things seemed to drag forever and ever. And now it's Friday again already. So anyway, my guest today is Pete Garcia. And before I introduce him, I want to read our daily scripture, and then we can seek the Lord together before we dive in. The passage I have today is Isaiah 26, 19 to 21, and these are some of my favorite verses. Isaiah 26, 19 to 21, your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and no more will no more cover her slain. Oh, Lord, we know that you are a God who keeps his promises. Lord, and your word is settled in heaven. It is firmly fixed. For now, it is a lamp to our feet. It lights our way, and we thank you that it does, and you, you keep our feet from stumbling. Help us to see your truth more clearly, even as the world gets darker, and cause our light to shine ever brighter until that day. We lift up our guest, Pete, and his ministry, his family, and all he sets his hand to in his labors for the kingdom. Thank you for his testimony, and protect him. Cause him to even be more fruitful until you call him home in Jesus' name. Well, today, Pete Garcia uh, Pete is a retired military combat veteran and aviator, a writer, a researcher, speaker, teacher of Bible prophecy and apologetics. Um, he has a B.A. in international relations and is a graduate of the U.S. Army's prestigious Command and General Staff College. He was called by the Lord to start writing at the age of 33 and wrote for Jack Kinsella's Omega Letter from 2011 to 2018. And he has branched out. He has a great website uh, under the banner of Rev310.net. To date, he has written over 600 articles that are carried on numerous websites and platforms. And he has contributed written chapters to Terry James' published books, and that would be include Discerners, Lawless, and Trajectory. And he co-wrote two nonfiction books, The Disappearing and The New World Order, and uh, three of his own Christian fiction novels. That's Rev310.net, which says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Pete, thank you for your service, and welcome to Stand Up for the Truth today. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Ah, We're so glad you're here today. Um, Such times we're living in. Um, You have uh, several articles. I mean, it's a great website. And I noticed you have something called Monday Night Live. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Uh, Monday Night Live uh, was kind of born out of uh, this desire to connect to different audiences. You know, there's there's a lot of folks that uh, that you know are busy; they don't have time to read uh, the articles, and some of my articles can be kind of lengthy. So, um, Monday Night Live was this a way to connect with the audience for those who want to just listen. You know, if they're you know driving or they're cooking or other ways, and so. Really, it's a it's a conversation uh, that that I have with uh, the folks that join us every week, and um, it's just a it's a good way to connect. And I also do a a Thursday night Discord Zoom chat, so we we get together on Discord. And this way, it's not just one directional like on YouTube, where I'm just talking and they're listening, mm-hmm. um, or they might be interacting on the in the chat room. But the the Discord Thursday is like we I see them, they see me, we can interact that way. So okay. It's a, just a way to connect, a new way to connect with the audience. Yeah, and so people, there's a, a link on your site. People can uh, jump into Discord. How does that work? Yeah, um, there's a link at the bottom of my uh, webpage, uh, right down where it you know has all the ways to connect with me. Okay. And then there's also one on my Telegram. Um, I'm on Telegram, and it's pinned to the very top of my page. So, okay. And, and Discord's not very um, intuitive. It does take a little bit to kind of figure out some stuff because it's a little different setup. But once you're in, it's fairly easy to navigate okay that sounds like fun actually you also have something on your page called rules for the remnant now is that um is that something that you left behind <laughs> no pun intended for people yeah. that are left behind is that the general idea uh, of this article yeah it was a um i wrote this a while back but mm-hmm. i basically wanted something that um that could be printed out and uh, it, it basically, you can print it out. I think I, I put the font size and stuff on the bottom, and it's front, you know, one page, front and back. And it basically is an outline of everything that's going to happen, you know, after the rapture. So um, people have been printing it out and just saving. Because I figure, you know, if everything is chaotic and the world's gone crazy, which I believe the rapture will trigger all these cascading events, um, people are not going to, may not have time to grab books, or they may not have time mm-hmm. to grab you know, uh, whatever technology, they just might have the, this piece of paper in their back pocket. And it's it's enough right there to give somebody uh, rules for what's going to happen. And, I mean, it's not exhaustive, but it is the, a basic outline for everything. It is, and it's, it's I recommend it highly. It's easy to read. You've got the seals and the trumpets and the vials and the bowls. It's just a, uh, a we know prophecy. This degree is, is really commendable. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just the tribulation, the rapture, what they are, because people will be learning on, you know, in hindsight, right? And they'll be learning quickly because uh, that's what they're going to want to have to do. So, all right, that's a great um, great resource there, as is everything on your on your website. And you have an article called Some Kind of Love. And um, it's great because as, as an aviator, you have an illustration here um, that has to do with the times that we're living in and how there, it's... I think a lot of people bail on prophecy and, and such these days because there's so much. They just go, oh, I can't keep up. I don't understand. Can you tell us? You have a little um, illustration here called the Cone of Confusion. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, well, um, when as a pilot, if, you know, there's basically two ways to fly. You can fly VFR, which is just looking out your your windshield of your plane or helicopter, and you're just basically looking outside and navigating that way or maybe through a map or something. And there's IFR, which is instrument flight rules, which is you're not looking outside. You're you're simply looking at your instruments, and you've got your um, coordinates all programmed into your your system. You're dialed into a radial. You're you're heading toward a, a beacon, for instance. A beacon would be 
a, a navigation equipment that sits on an airfield or somewhere where that um, it guides you to that place. You just stay on that you know that um, radial and you follow that. Maybe it's a zero nine zero or three six zero, whatever it is. And basically, you follow that into the to the beacon, and then from there you continue on on your path on the outbound radial. Or you'll change directions wherever you're going to go. You've mm-hmm. already got this planned out. But what happens is, as you get close to that beacon, um, you know it starts to your your instrument, your CDI or HSI, will start to pick up all the other signals, all the other radials, and basically you're going to have this kind of um, you know temporary thing where your instruments are all going crazy, and you're going to get uh, like a full needle deflection, you'll have two from flags flipping, you'll have arrows, you know, flipping. And, and so there's there's some chaos in, with your instruments when you're going through this. And it's not that bad when it's, you know, um, clear blue 22 and it's just no cloud in the skies. But when you're in the clouds and you're in, you know, inclement weather and trying to navigate to this thing and all of a sudden your instruments are going wonky, mm-hmm. um, it can be pretty harrowing. And I, I liken that to today because r- right now, um, the two major signs for the last days is Israel, you know, the national rebirth of Israel, and then the convergence of all these signs. And we're seeing kind of the convergence of the convergence now. <laughs> Everything is just piling on on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And I think it is producing a lot of um, confusion within the watching remnant of believers. Um, and so it, it just helps us to, you know, it's just a visual reminder for us to, you know, stay the course mm-hmm. and uh, keep doing, plugging away with Jesus has got us set to do. Yes, all the signs at the same time, and I still think of Daniel all the time. Go your way, Daniel, because this isn't for you, but those in the end will understand, and the end will come in like a flood, right? Mm-hmm. And and then in Revelation, the things which must quickly take place. So once it gets rolling, I mean, we're from the north here, so we think of a snowball going down a hill. If you're going to put a snowball at the top of the hill and give it a good push, it's going to get bigger and bigger, and it's going to go faster and faster. Um, so yes, we are in that. And I, you know, I get a lot of questions. Um, I was in administration for many years at a church and I get a lot of emails and I've had a lot of questions. I see posts now on social media that people find prophecy to be frightening. Now, it, it never occurred to me to be fearful of it because I just believed it. You know, I just said, well, you know, Lord, I'm going to see these things unfold and I, then I'll know that I know that, that prophecy is true. So I just take them at face value, but, and they're sobering, but some people in the church don't want to hear about prophecy. I mean, it's our blessed hope. How, if someone said to you that they were fearful of it, and they, and therefore they don't even want to study it or hear about it, how would you answer them? Uh, I, you know, I just would say, you know, if they're a believer, then then this is the probably the one of the greatest times to be alive. Mm-hmm. And our future, you know, basically, if somebody is fearful of, of what's coming, they they don't have a obviously wouldn't have a decent understanding of, of all the, the good things that are about to happen for the mm-hmm. believer. And that's why I named my w- website Ref310, because we are going to be kept from this hour of testing, this hour of temptation that's going to come upon the whole world. Mm-hmm. We are not going to go through one second of it. And so, yes, things are going to be bad leading up to that moment where we're delivered. And, and you know, Jesus, like in the last days, in all of the signs that he mentions in his Olivet Discourse, he mentioned that to birth paying. So, you know, I liken us to where we are now to probably in like the Braxton Hicks can, you know, <laughs> part of the pregnancy where mm-hmm. we're starting to see these things and we're starting to see a lot of uh, the, the the globalism that's trying to draw the world together through all these different crises, mm-hmm. you know, whether they're real or, or perceived or contrived crises. These are things that 
they're using to usher in digital currency, to usher in a digital ID, to usher in, um, you know, some type of uh, regional governments and all these other things. And that that's going to basically strip away. Their intent is to strip away national sovereignty from everybody, so that we're all under one system. Mm-hmm. And so, I think for the believer, this is this is the most exciting time to be alive. The only other time I could think of that would be as equally as exciting as when Christ was here the first time, right. Right. nearly nearly two thousand years ago. So we're coming up on the two thousandth anniversary of his death, burial, and resurrection. Mm-hmm. So, if history holds true and if biblical patterns hold true, mm-hmm. um, I think that the here in the near future um, we have great reason to be excited because we're about to get an upgrade yeah. you know body <laughs> you know immortal bodies glorified bodies we're going to be with christ forever and we just have you know as paul says in in uh, corinthians he's like you know eye is not seen or ear heard the things that god has got in store for us in ephesians he writes in uh, ephesians 2 4 through 7 that that god is is um there <laughs> there there is so much he is w- waiting and longing to um um, bless us with in the future. Um, it's just we just really don't have any understanding of it. Even somebody like mm-hmm. myself that's looking forward to it, even I can't understand how great that time is going to be. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that. And I think people too need to just understand that. And I, I get where they're coming from. Oftentimes, is they have family members that aren't saved. Maybe their spouse isn't even saved. Um, and you know, I, my husband and I have been saved together. You know, when we got married and such. So I don't, I don't have that experience. Or their their kids aren't saved. But I try and reinforce that God has things under control, and the church is here for a reason, right? We're not obviously we're not done with what we need to do. No, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, you know, this is this right now is a, is an amazing time to um, not only share the gospel but to live it. And mm-hmm. I think that for those the, those out there that are are um, hesitant about learning about the last days, or maybe they're they're wanting to not think about it because they have lost loved ones, you know, God's Word, when it goes out, does not return void. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that God has given us this opportunity, you know, think about how long YouTube's been around, or, you know, the Internet in general. It's been a very short period of time, and God has allowed this open door. You know, know, when COVID happened and, and all these churches started to shut down, churches were shutting down prior to COVID across the United States for a myriad of reasons. Hmm. And then COVID happened, and then they started, you know, shutting down exponentially. Mm-hmm. And then you think about the secondary effects, ramifications of that with missions that these churches used to support. Now these churches aren't there anymore. Now these missions are starting to dry up. Mm-hmm. And during this whole time, God has opened this whole new door through uh, YouTube, through social mm-hmm. media, through the Internet. And we're reaching people all over the world and encouraging brothers and sisters across the world. And people that are just curious from other religions and other faiths. So. God has opened this door at this time, and, and as it says there in Revelation 3 as well, that this is a door that, that he's opened, no man can shut it. So, and, he, and when it shuts, it's going to shut, and I think that's going to be when the rapture happens. So, yeah. But the fact that we have this open door, we're talking about it, we know that after the rapture there's going to be an, an ama- a huge, an amazing uh, a harvest of, of souls that are going to come out of the, um, out of the tribulation, uh, from this, and I think that a lot of what we're doing now is laying the seeds. You know, yeah. we're planting the seeds right now, and there are some people that are not going to be ready right now. But when the rapture happens, it's going to click, yeah. and uh, we see there in Revelation seven, it's a number from all tribes and tongues 
that that no man could count. It was just such a huge number of people that have come to the faith. Mm-hmm. So it's not uh, optimal that somebody would miss the rapture and go into the tribulation, but we do know on the other side of the rapture there's going to be a huge harvest of souls. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. This is Standing for the Truth. My name is Mary Danielson, and we are chatting with Pete Garcia, Rev310.net. Pete, when these churches were closing, my first thought was, um, and you know, the fellowship I go to, we stayed open with just enough people so that we wouldn't alert any authorities. You know, not too many cars outside, and we did live stream, and we we did all that. So we never really closed completely because uh, we wanted to keep going in case the authorities said, no, 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 you can't do that. But I guess I was surprised that it seemed like churches didn't even know what their purpose for existence was at that point. I was really surprised by that, that they felt that when things got tough, that it was an option to close. And uh, like you said, a lot of them have not opened, and a lot of them don't teach prophecy. I wish more no. churches taught it. Yeah, and that's that's the, that's that's a uh, again another sign of the times that we're in. Is that at the at the greatest moment of time that the church has to shine? That it's the it seems like it's like the least equipped <laughs> yeah. and the least uh, yeah. knowledgeable about the times in which they live. You know, it's very reminiscent to when Christ arrived uh, the first time. How many people were expecting their Messiah, even when they had the Old Testament prophets foretelling, you know, the general time frame when the Messiah should show up, according to Daniel. And uh, the only people that showed up at his birth were a bunch of Gentile, you know, wise men, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you had two people in the in the temple that, that understood, Simeon and Anna, uh, that, that were looking forward to this Messiah, and they recognized him immediately. So um, it, it seems very similar to that time, I think, when, when the rapture happens. There's going to be a lot of surprised Christians that may be going up feet first. <laughs> feet first. I'll, I'll have to remember that. Uh, you also have a verse in this particular article. We're reading some kind of love. We're just going through this a little bit, some of the high points. And you have Isaiah 46, 9 to 10. This is just a, an amazing passage about the God that we serve. And I remember when I heard this the first time, and it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. You know, Pete, they, they can call Muhammad a prophet until they're blue in the face, but there is no prophecy outside of Christianity, correct? That's correct, yeah. yes. No accurate one. <laughs> yeah, no accurate, right, don't you? Okay. <laughs> yes, you can prophesy all you want, but it has to be 100%. It has to come true 100% in every detail in order to be, uh, and only Christianity has that. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's one of the, the things, and not to um, castigate Judaism, but in, a lot of my friends that are Jewish, and I, we were talking about Jesus, you know, one of their main arguments against him being the Messiah was them saying, well, he didn't come, he didn't fulfill all the things that the Old Testament prophesied about. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, we know for sure, certain that um, Daniel 9.26 says that the, you know, there's a small. There was a small window of time when the Messiah could have came, and that you know, basically, uh, when the scepter departs from um, Shiloh's feet, in there in Genesis 49, I think 49:10, and then you have the passage in Daniel 9:26 that says that at the end of the 69th week he's going to be cut off, mm. but not for himself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that small window of time, and then the temple was destroyed nearly 40 years later. So then then that, that really cemented it. There was no other time for this Messiah to arrive. So um, it's, you know, there are other other religions that have prophecies. Uh, there's other cults. There's other, you know, pagan uh, um, 
organizations and religions and belief systems that have tried to prophesize, but mm-hmm. but only our God is the one that has seen the end from the beginning, so he knows exactly how everything is going to play out, and he's foretold. He's given us an amazing outline in Scripture. Um, there Obviously, there's going to be details and finer points in there that, that, that are we are not going to understand. I don't think there was many or any prophecy teachers that I'm aware of from from anybody anywhere that foresaw, you know, how COVID would play out. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, we have an outline that gives us the 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 kind of the mountain peaks of prophecy, mm-hmm. right, just as Clarence Larkin has mm-hmm. in his, his chart where the Old Testament prophets could see the mountain peaks, but they couldn't necessarily see the valleys. And even speaking to the rapture, that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 calls it, this is a mystery, mm-hmm. right? This is a mysterion. It's something that had that has always been there, but had not yet been revealed in the Old Testament. Prophets didn't understand it. The Old Testament prophets didn't even understand the church, that, that God would take the Gentiles and the, and the Jews and bring them together in Christ in one new man. And so these are, these are mysteries that, that were there in type, in foreshadowing in the Old Testament, but then are revealed in the New Testament, mm-hmm. so... Yes, and in your article, uh, you have a chart. You have reproduced a chart here by Clarence Larkin. And he was, uh, people listening may not know who that was. He lived from 1850 to 1924. He was a Baptist minister. He was also an engineer. Um, and the guy was brilliant. He knew his Bible. And so there are several books out there. One is called, this one I have here is Dispensational Truth. And it has 90 different charts, and they're hand-drawn about prophecy and the church, the various dispensations. It's Amazing, and I think a lot of people, if they look at these books, they'd go, "Wow, this guy really knew his Bible." Especially compared to how people don't know the Scripture real well systematically today. But it, this mountain piece of prophecy is great because it shows up an older gentleman on the left, and it says what the prophets saw, and there's a line of sight coming from him, and it has you know the birth of Jesus, Calvary, um, prophecy in general, uh, Pentecost, and all these things. Um, and it's just fascinating to see. And this is the ironic thing for me, Pete, is that uh, his take on Israel being back in the land. Um, it's a peak in a valley because he believed that, yes, Israel will be back in the land. And this was way before um, he should have believed that probably, but that he said that once Israel's regathered, Jesus returns immediately. So there's a valley that he didn't even see, which is, of course, we can't see into the future. But he did not see, what is it, 75 years now is Israel? I think, yeah. yeah, 75 years. So he didn't even see that. But I really encourage people to look at his spectacular charts and drawings. Um, and, I, Pete, I was reminded of uh, this particular verse in Isaiah 61. It's, it's sort of a famous gap or a comma. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, comma, Oh, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Okay, and then there's a comma. Uh, oh, I'm not doing this justice at all. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, comma, and the day of vengeance of our God. And so to me, that's a mountain peak uh, and a big, big comma that has a lot of years in between. Um, so I think that is one of the most fascinating verses in the Old Testament as far as uh, a gap theory. That's my only gap theory that I believe in. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that, that you know, the, the passage there when Jesus um, begins his ministry after his days in the, his temp, day, 40 days in the wilderness, he repeats that, that um, passage in mm-hmm. Isaiah, but then he stops. He stops at the comma 
you know, whereas in, in Isaiah, it, it goes out through the, the rest of it that explains about Jesus stops at the comma. Mm-hmm. And here's another one that I think is a, a fascinating. In, you know, John 1, uh, I don't know the exact verse off the top of my head, but John the Baptist is, uh, when he's, um, when Jesus is beginning his ministry and he's showing up there to be baptized by John, the first time John the Baptist sees him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then a few verses later down, it's like the next day, Jesus shows up again, and John says, Behold the Lamb of God. Mm. So Jesus was only going to come once to take away the sins of the world. You know, He was only going to be crucified once. And it's cool how um, Scripture has all of these little, um, just, um, little, uh, what do they call them, Easter eggs, all throughout <laughs> Scripture, you know, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, yeah. foreshadowing and foretelling God's plan of uh, redemption of mankind, and even all the typology. And that's what I loved about Clarence Larkin's work. I mean, he just he just uh, deep dives on so many different things, and it and it makes you fall in love with with scripture because yeah. it, the things that you would have glossed over, he's he's focusing on those little things that, that most people don't really think twice about. Right. So it's it that that is a fascinating book. Highly recommend them to anybody. Yeah, it is very fascinating, and there's a lot of commentary in that too. I don't know how long it took him to write these. Um, but the detail, like you said, is absolutely phenomenal. And I will linger over one particular chart for a really long time, and I won't even get to the rest of the book for years. <laughs> so it's loaded. Yeah, I encourage people. You can probably get the really old ones on eBay, but they're still in uh, on Amazon, but they're paperbacks. And I don't know, it just wouldn't be the same to me um, without the hardcovers. But, yeah, Clarence Larkin, fascinating guy. Um, I've also another thing that people have said to me, and we just have a few minutes in this particular segment, um, there aren't two comings. Y'all, how can you say there's two comings, you know, the rapture and the second coming, and they just don't see it? Um, is there a best way to point people to that? I mean, I know that they, um, the Jews missed the, in the Old Testament, of course, there was the sin-bearing Messiah in Isaiah 53. We read that on Good Friday, you know, despised and rejected of men. And then there's Isaiah 9 7. I mean, Isaiah is loaded. Of the, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And it talks about uh, the throne of David and his kingdom. Uh, and the zeal of hosts will, will perform this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know how to describe to people because there's an awful lot of, of, um, out of the pre-trib has just really fallen into favor, uh, uh, dis, disfavor, uh, in these times because, I used to be able to go online and read about the pre-trib in a positive way, and now it's just really negative. Why? Why does the church not want to have that blessed hope? What's What's the problem with that? Uh, well, you know, it's uh, uh, you know, depending on the church and their hermeneutics, and, and some some feel that uh, if they approach scripture allegorically, much in what we see in the Reformed um, community. Um, you know, we're in the kingdom now, and, oh. and, and they see that as uh, a pre-tribulation, as, as pie in the sky, something way down the road, and they just kind of lump that in with the second coming. Mm. But the, the thing about the second coming is is that, you know, you have Scripture in First Thessalonians 4 that says the righteous are taken. And then if you go to Matthew, uh, in uh, Matthew 13, it says the wicked are taken mm-hmm. first. So they can't be both the same thing. Right. And so things that are different are not the same. And I just want to jack Kinsella's, you know, little sayings, and and so you have passages that are that are peculiarly um, rapture esque because of the way they describe things. And there's a there's a resurrection involved. There's a changing. There is a 
the imminency and not knowing exactly when it's going to happen. And then you have the passages that refer to a second coming that are known, and the whole world's going to see this. It's going to be a slow processional, uh, you know, the sky rolling back and being peeled back, and the armies of heaven descending down and Christ waging war. These are two very different things, so they can't be the same event. Um, because in on the passages that deal with the second coming, there are significant differences than there are the passages mm-hmm. that deal with the rapture. So, um, you know, I think that's just, when we when we pay attention to what Scripture is actually saying and let it just speak and not trying to read too much into it, mm-hmm. um, we just let it say what it has to say, then that's where we start to notice these major differences between the two events. Yeah, there's there are char- charts out there, if people are interested, in that these verses are, can only be a rapture and these verses can only be a second coming. So if people want to... Um, take a dive into that and be critical thinkers about it, they certainly can. Um, there's no end of resources. We have the Internet, right? <laughs> we, can, yeah. we can find those resources. Um, so, yes, that's absolutely fascinating how that has happened. I was online yesterday. I don't know how I stumbled upon it, but a New York Times article by Billy Graham, 1970, they were asking him what is going to happen at the end of the age, and I thought, oh, my you know, that was the height of, right, the Jesus movement, and a lot of people were getting saved. Hal Lindsey was writing. And I printed it out because it was so shocking that the the New York Times would care or ask Billy Graham to write for them about what to look for before Jesus returns. I mean, isn't that amazing? Yeah, that is. Yep. Uh, okay, so also on your site, rev310.net, you do have the 70th week of Daniel. You have a chart. I know that it's difficult sometimes to understand that particular thing. I'd like to dive into that a little bit more when we come back. Um, a few other things we can talk about. There are signs in Mark, uh, Matthew, uh, Luke, uh, certain things people look for, should be looking for. Uh, birth pangs, I want to talk to you about what exactly birth pangs are, and we can certainly explore that in the second half. So, again, Mary Danielson, Stand Up For The Truth, Pete Garcia, Rev310.net. So we're going to take a break. We're glad you joined us. Stick around for the second half um, after a couple of messages. I'll see you soon. And remember that we always appreciate your feedback by email comments at standupforthetruth.com. That's comments at standupforthetruth.com. And remember, we're shadow band, so thank you for sharing our posts with your friends and loved ones. Our social media pages are shadow banned. Thanks for your prayers and sharing our posts at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. There you go. My own little world there for a second. It is August the 4th. We are talking to Pete Garcia about prophecy. And uh, before we get to Daniel's 70th week, which is just an incredible, significant, detailed prophecy of the Messiah, I want to talk a little bit about... um, Professor Peter Stoner, some of you have heard this and some of you haven't. He was, um, he lived in the, uh, late 19th century, actually passed away in 1980. Uh, was chairman of the departments of math and astronomy at Pasadena City College and chairman of the science division of Westmont College. And he calculated the probability of one man fulfilling only a handful of over 300 messianic prophecies. And he published back in 1944 his research results in a publication called Science Speaks, Scientific Proof of the Accuracy of Prophecy and the Bible. And uh, Mr. Stoner concluded that the probability of one person 
fulfilling just eight of the prophecies, was one chance in ten to the seventeenth power. Now that's a one followed by 17 zeros. Now how about one person, and we're talking about Jesus here, fulfilling just 48 of over 300 prophecies. And he calculated these odds at 1 in 10 to the 157th power, and that, I think, is a statistical impossibility that is really hard to wrap our heads around. But he said he has an illustration that should drive this home easily for people. You take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, so 10 with 17 zeros, it's a big number, and lay them on the face of Texas, covering all the state two feet deep. And he says, mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Well, that's an impossibility too. But anyway, blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he has to pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. Now, what chance would he have of getting the right one? Well, it's the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies um, on their own, all right, with their own understanding and having them come true in any one man. He says, 40, he considers 48 prophecies and says, um, that would be, like I said, one in 10 to the 157th power, and that's a lot of zeros. So, you know, if, if anyone thinks that believing in the God of the Bible or prophecy is, is nothing more than blind faith, they really, really need to reconsider that. What do you think of that, Pete? It's it's mind-boggling. <laughs> it's it's amazing how uh, you know, but that also lines up with with Isaiah forty-six nine and ten. You know, God yeah. says, "I declare the end from the beginning." So, um, you would expect nothing less than one hundred percent accuracy. Right. Absolutely. There is no shallow end in the scriptural pool, is there? No, <laughs> there really isn't. All right, I wanted to ask you about Daniel seventieth week because you do have a chart that explains it um, on your site. Uh, in this particular article, especially that we're looking at. Um, but I, like I had said earlier, it is a incredibly detailed prophecy uh, in Dan- Daniel 9. And Daniel is praying for Israel, acknowledging the sins against God, and asking for God's mercy. And as he prayed, uh, Gabriel came to him and gave him a vision of Israel's future. Pete, can you help us out with uh, Daniel 70 weeks? Yeah, so Daniel was in captivity in Babylon, and he's reading through the prophet Jeremiah, who was his uh, predecessor, and um, Jeremiah had prophesied in, in his in his um, book that Israel would be in captivity for 70 years. So Daniel's seeing that this time is coming to an end, and as he's praying for his sins and the sins of his people um, to be, you know, restored back to their land, that's when the angel Gabriel shows up and he says, you know, I was coming to you, I was delayed, um, the prince of Persia, you know, or you know, these princes, these demonic, you know, fallen angels were uh, fighting Gabriel to prevent him from coming to give him this message. But this message basically is going to foretell uh, Israel's both immediate and distant future, and it's broken up into seventy weeks of seven. So these are seventy weeks of years, right? Mm-hmm. And we know that this correlation, uh, this this heptad, this seven grouping of seven, it'd be like us saying. You know, if I said to you, um, you know, oh, that's a, you know, that was last decade, or you know, we, I use that word decade, you understand that to be ten. So this is a grouping of seven, a heptad, and so the um, 490 years. He gives them a very specific. Uh, there's some very specific things that are going to mark all throughout here, and then that would uh, 
give the the reader some understanding of where they were on this this time frame. He begins by saying, you know, these weeks are determined for your people, so the Jewish people, and for your holy city, Jerusalem. And it lists six things that have to be accomplished to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and seal up prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So those are the things that this 70 weeks are going to accomplish. He says, therefore, go when you... um, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So that's 69 weeks right there. So the command that was uh, uh, to go forth and, and restore and build Jerusalem, we see that in Nehemiah chapter 2. And we know mm-hmm. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to, I think, uh, Artaxerxes, who was a Persian king. Mm-hmm. We know the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And so Nehemiah is a cupbearer. He comes in one day. And I think it's like the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes, and somewhere in the neighborhood of 445 B.C., between 445 and like 450 B.C. And um, he says, uh, you know, the king asked him, why are you why are you so sad? Why do you look so downtrodden? And, and uh, Nehemiah is saying, you know, well, you're, you know, Cyrus, the king Cyrus, who was a Persian king, had let the Jews go back earlier, you know, decades earlier. And the Jews went back and rebuilt the temple under, uh, you know, um, Ezra and and um, Zerubbabel and uh, I think Joshua, and they had the temple rebuilt, but the rest of the city largely still laid in ruin. Mm. And so Artaxerxes allows Nehemiah to go back. He gives them a decree, gives them uh, the materials they need, and he makes this, he gives them this uh, decree in his hand that he can carry with him. That wherever he goes within the Roman, the Persian Empire, they were gonna you know if he had to get you know let let go through, can't be you know molested on the way there. So he goes back, and they begin to restore the city and the walls of Jerusalem. And so that basically kicks off the time frame, this 69 weeks of years. And then if you go down to verse um, um, 25, it says, uh, through the rest of 25, and it says, to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. So 69 weeks would be, would be um, marking the Messiah, the time frame of the, when the Messiah would be there. And that... Um, after 62 weeks, so it's the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, this Messiah is going to be cut off, but not for himself. So at the end of the 69 weeks, Jesus the Messiah is cut off. And it says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So we know historically that the people who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD were the Romans mm-hmm. under General Titus. Right. And so, you know, the siege actually began a year or two earlier, but. Uh, the actual destruction of the city happened on the 9th of Av in in uh, 70 AD. And it says, in the end of it shall be with the flood until the end of the war, desolations are determined. So Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is destroyed uh, in 70 AD. The Jews go into diaspora for the next 1878 years until 1948 when they declared their statehood. And so there's a lot of things that have happened between, you know, especially beginning in the 1890s going forward that led up to the Israel be, being able to declare their statehood. Mm-hmm. But that last week of years um, is there in verse 27, and that historically has never happened. So when we talk about the tribulation, really the most accurate name for that is going to be the 70th week of Daniel, because it's future week of years, and that's where Revelation 6 through 19 deals with this future week of years that is going to come upon the world, and that's what I have listed out in my chart. 
at the bottom mm-hmm. of my page. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, and it was a 360-day year, correct? So they had to actually adjust for leap years. And so that's what makes this even more remarkable a prophecy. And there was no... There was no um, crucifixion as a form of execution that didn't even exist when this um, was prophesied, right? And right. it's all just really amazing. The first time I heard it, I thought, well, I need to hear this more than once, first of all, <laughs> so I can comprehend it. And secondly, um, wow, how do you, you know, they missed it, right? Um, but it is, this is the focal point of future prophecy is that seven years that, that they owe, that they owe God. And, and it's just a, uh, and so then I wonder how uh, those who take the stance that it's not historic, the preterism and the, oh, a lot of this already happened in 70 AD. I don't really understand that either because to me it's fairly clear, but I think people need to do their homework on it. So, yes, and the book of Daniel was written, what, 500 years before the birth of Jesus? And, and there are those that try to discredit it. Uh, do you think that's in light of this particular prophecy that they say it's not future? Yeah, I think so. I think uh I think that uh there's a huge there's been huge attempts by a lot of different groups to discredit Daniel and and Isaiah, right? Mm-hmm. Um uh to make it sound they call him pseudo, pseudo you know what do they call it the pseudo Isaiah or okay. deutero Isaiah <laughs> and then you know Daniel's you know they're trying to cuz it's so accurate mm-hmm. about uh, uh geopolitics not just um you know then but also now and the fact that <clears throat> the Jews that if they're not recognizing Jesus as the, the the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, I mean, obviously this is very problematic because mm-hmm. that means that the Messiah could have only came back in the first century. Right. And yeah. so that, that, that presents a problem for any would-be Messiahs that are that are stepping out on the stage today and, and that have tried to you know, claim Messiahship over the last two 2,000 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jesus says, many will come in my name. And then he says... One will come in their own name, and him you will receive. I think that's an absolutely fascinating prophecy about the Antichrist. Yeah, no, John five forty three is is definitely that that one of those telling passages that um, mind boggling. But <laughs> really the seventieth week itself is a set. You know, like you said, it's three hundred sixty day years. Mm-hmm. It's uh, seven years broken in in two parts, and it's divided right at the midpoint at the three and a half year mark. And that is the point where the um, where Jesus refers to as the abomination of desolation, and then he refers people back to the book of Daniel, mm-hmm. saying it's going to be like that. But he's saying this is going to be at the very end of time. And, to, you know, when you backwards plan from the abomination of desolation, in order for there to be an abomination of desolation, there has to be something to be desolated, mm-hmm. and that thing that has to be desolated is a Jewish temple. So we know that the Jewish temple has not existed since 70 A.D., and so now uh, that this prophecy p- requires there to be a temple built, well, the Palestinians are not going to build a Jewish temple, right. and the Arabs are not going to build a Jewish temple, and the Ottoman Turks aren't going to build a Jewish temple. <laughs> the only people that want a Jewish temple are, are the are the Jews. Mm-hmm. And so it requires them to have control, ownership of the Temple Mount, which means they have to have ownership of Jerusalem, which means they have to have ownership of the nation of Israel, you know, what they ended up calling it is the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you backwards plan from this, it, it shows you that we're our time is winding down. Mm-hmm. And then to the point that, you know, now, you know, we have it, it, this very, um, the, the air, messianic uh, fervor is in the air right now with the 
arrival of these uh, red heifers with the 40 years that they tried to do this land for peace and all it resulted in was intifadas and and so i think they're 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 kind of fed up and i think they're becoming more aggressive in their attempts to uh reclaim their access to the temple mount and eventually that's going to result in them um rebuilding a third temple and i think that you know what i put in my chart there is some speculation in there because we don't know exactly what's going to happen between the rapture and the start of the 70th week the rapture doesn't kick off the 70th week it basically sets the stage for it and allows it to happen. I think it's the world crisis that begins to set the things in motion for the 70th week to begin. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's where I think that this is um, this is all leading to. Yeah. Well, a couple of things that really still do fascinate me is, will there be a time gap between the rapture and the beginning of Daniel's 70th week and also the temple? Because I know the Temple Mount Institute has been working on implements, and this is in the news a lot more than people realize and yet something, I'm thinking, how in the world is this going to happen, this structure on that disputed, wow, I, I just can't see it. I mean, um, of course, that's that's the way prophecy works, right? We can't see into the future. But do you think there will be uh, just some kind of war there um, that will just open the door for them to be? And I know I'm asking you to speculate, but what, what do you think will allow um, that to give way, that point to happen where they can rebuild that temple? Well, if you know when the rapture happens, um, we know that that's going to trigger a bunch of um, geopolitical chaos in the world. I think it would probably collapse the United States, mm. which will then trigger a collapse amongst the Western nations that are, you know, you know, beholden to a lot of American interest and, and maybe have American debt and ties with our American economy and mm. so forth. Which is why you have other nations like this BRICS coalition trying to separate and divorce themselves from anything American, because I think they see that we're coming to our end, you know, just economically speaking. But with regards to the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock that's currently on the Temple Mount, we know that there's a war that's in the future that hasn't happened. It's called the Battle of Gog and Magog. And in that war, there's a huge coalition that comes against Israel and tries to take control of Israel and her wealth and destroy her. And that's going to be what experts believe to be Russia... Turkey, Iran, um, Sudan, and Libya. And right now, all of these countries are starting to come together in the same orbit, um, geopolitically speaking. But God comes and destroys these armies. And in that process, there's a massive earthquake. I mean, a huge earthquake, it says there in the end, that hits that whole area. And I think that during that earthquake is when those, those two buildings are destroyed and they're leveled. And at that point, you know, Islam as a... A, a, a force to be reckoned with in the world in terms of a you know world religion, it's going to largely be neutralized. I mean, there's going to be most of this army that's coming against Israel will be Islamic, mm-hmm. and uh, you're going to see huge. I mean, it's going to wipe out a, a significant number of middle you know military aged males in this time. So, mm-hmm. I don't think there's going to be any pushback as these temp- as these two current um, buildings on the Temple Mount are destroyed. Uh, I think that's going to clear the way for the the Jews to rebuild their temple there on top of the Temple Mount, and there's not going to be any uh, pushback against that. And you know this this uh, covenant that's confirmed there in Daniel nine twenty seven for the seventieth week, it may involve you know the Jews rebuilding their temple. Mm-hmm. So that's something. Yeah. We don't know specifically, but it seems like it leads to that. Well, that's a great perspective, too, on that, too, because if if five-sixths of that Russian coalition army is wiped out, 
that would be the end of radical Islam, I'm thinking. And um, so that yeah. would make perfect sense that they would be allowed to rebuild that temple. Uh, I don't expect to be here to see that, but I don't know. And I, I just am fascinated watching this come along. And to get back a little bit on some of the other prophecies, because it's not just Daniel 927, of course, that is... That is just such an amazing prophecy, like I said. But we also have, uh, can a nation be born in a day? Uh, you know, that's, that's a phenomenal one. Just that one because of Israel becoming a nation in one day. Far into the future, of course, Isaiah did not see that. But then the other one, uh, about restoring a pure language, um, that's fascinating too because I think it was Eliezer ben Yehuda, um, one of the Zionists who, uh, worked to restore Hebrew. Uh, is, is that who I'm thinking of there? Yeah, yeah, sounds familiar. Yeah, and I think he, he had his, the first child in modern Israel to speak fluent Hebrew. So that's another incredible prophecy. I, I, yeah, that's from the prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah, okay. For then I will restore to the people a pure language mm-hmm. that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord, okay. which is fascinating for you and I because Hebrew has always been, I've had a struggle trying to learn it, yeah. you know, <laughs> especially trying to read it. Yeah, right, <laughs> and, uh, right. You and I will be fluent in it one day. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, that is that is very cool. And I've tried I've tried to learn it, and not much sticks in my head because you're reading from a different direction as well. So I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have the genes to do that. Uh, switch gears a little bit in our last segment. I want to talk about birth pangs because, you know, people say, well, it's climate change or whatever. Uh, I think the term gets obscured in the church. Because people tend to think that all the struggles we're looking at and the weather and all that are probably man-made. But God gets the glory for what he sends on the earth, right? And so we've had, um, we see in Mark, especially, you know, there's wars and rumors, nation against nation, famines, earthquakes, the beginning of sorrows, and that sort of thing. But um, look at the floods that we've had. You know, Beijing records heaviest rainfall in 140 years. Historic storms and flooding in California this January. Record floods in Kentucky and Vermont. I think Canada is probably burnt to the ground by now, considering all the smoke we've all inhaled in the last, <laughs> I don't know, three or four months. It's been, it's been horrible up here. Just the, no summer. You don't want to go outside because, um, we're being, uh, loaded down with smoke here. Uh, what do you, what are birth pangs, Pete? What, how would you describe those? Because people don't talk about them much anymore. Well, I think, you know, birth pangs speak to the, you know, when, when Jesus gave his Olivet Discourse there in, um, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and he starts, you know, when his disciples asked him about the end of the age and what are what are these things going to mean, um, he is he's starting to list out, you know, the one thing that he lists out that, that is very prominent is de- deception hmm. and the fact that we now live in, what, you know, the age of information, and we also know that our great adversary, Satan, is the father of lies, um, you know, speaks to his influence in this age that we live in, but Jesus mentions deception four times. He mentions there's wars, which we've had two of the biggest wars in all of history, World War One and World War Two, in this you know previous century. Um, rumors of war, you know, from there we went directly into the Cold War, which was basically forty years of uh, you know spycraft, espionage, these you know the uh, cold, the um, proxy wars, mm-hmm. the um, the rapid uh, development of intelligence agencies around the world and all their capabilities, um, you know, just uh, there is boundless, boundless rumors of war going on right now. I mean, we have two right now that are kind of on the forefront, whether, you know, um, our president gets us involved with uh, Russia via NATO in, in the in Europe, and then the, the other one obviously is going to be 
against China, you know, for the battle over Taiwan. So those are two major conflicts right now that are that are we're really like right on the edge of, and um, there's going to be earthquakes. We've seen a massive increase in earthquakes, and and uh, not just um, you know three point twos and below or whatever. We there's been a significant increase in major earthquakes and great earthquakes, mm-hmm. and and not only that, but Jesus says in various places. So even places that previously were you know were not thought to have earthquakes now are having them all over the place. Well. Some of that has to do with fracking. Some of that has mm-hmm. to do with other things that we've done in in the ground um, that maybe is um, you know causing some of this stuff. But nonetheless, it's happening at this pace that Jesus says. And then pestilences, obviously, the 20th <laughs> century. You know, we started out at the beginning of the 20th century, I think, with two billion people, and now we're up to eight billion people. So the more wow. people there are, the more populated these cities are becoming, and the quicker and more devastating a lot of these. Um, these um, pandemics and things are going to be happening. And then, uh, you know, in Luke's version, it says there will be signs in the heavens. Um, you know, there's going to be distress amongst the nations with perplexity. And the love of many is going to grow cold. And I think in the age that we live in, because we can't trust, uh, we've learned not to trust the media over the last 20 years. <laughs> uh, and tr- even trust even less the government, you know, um, and with all the scandals and corruptions and things like that going on, I believe that um, people have become very leery of the, everything. And not just, you know, every you know the government or the media, but COVID showed this, that we're even less trustful of our neighbors and we're willing to turn people in and, and you know, shame people for not mm-hmm. wearing masks and do all these other things. And um, social media has definitely escalated all this. But Jesus said, you know, all of these things we've had for the last 2,000 years. We've had earthquakes. We've had pestilence. We've had wars. And Jesus said that these things would come on like birth pains. So, you know, in in a normal pregnancy, uh, the woman goes through these trimesters. And, you know, by the second trimester, she may start to have, toward the end of that, some Braxton Hicks, these kind of fake contractions or false contractions that are happening. But as she enters into that third trimester and as she gets closer to the time of that child's birth, um, those birth pains are going to start coming, and they're not going to let up until that child is born. And they're going to keep coming faster and harder and faster and harder. And I think that's what we're seeing is we're seeing this this intensification of all of these things happening all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's where we're... We're in those moments now, and um, ultimately we know that that is going to result in the birth, and the birth is the the church. The church is going to be raptured up, and just as it mentions in Romans 8, that that nature is right now groaning, just as we groan within ourselves, waiting to be born, these children of, of God and these new bodies that, you know, basically we're going to be born immortal. And, and I tell my children, you know, we're going to have Superman bodies for all intents and purposes. <laughs> I, I mean, we're going to First John 3, you know, John is saying that, you know, he not fully understanding how it's going to be, but we're going to be like Jesus was after, the, after his resurrection. And Jesus could appear and disappear at will. He could walk through a wall and then sit in a chair so he could handle and manipulate physical matter, but he's not constrained by physical matter. Yeah. He can eat. I mean, he ate a number of times with his disciples afterwards. And, you know, um, we're going to have very similar attributes like that. So yeah. when you read, you know, Revelation 20 and, and the uh, New Jerusalem comes down, it doesn't say it comes to the earth, it just says it comes down. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it maybe, it, you know, goes around the earth like a low-orbit uh, satellite, you know, uh, providing light over the world. And if we can do what Jesus did in terms of those capabilities of appearing and disappearing, and we can travel at the speed of thought, 
us traversing back and forth between the earth and the New Jerusalem during the, the kingdom age, that's not going to be a problem for us. I mean, well, I mean we, we're out of time, Pete. We could have probably gone on for a long time. You know, uh, the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Uh, that was the normality. We're running out of normal, I think. Um, Pete, so much. I uh, thank you so much uh, for being with us. Um, really enjoyed it very, very much. And people, please uh, share the podcast. Next week, Jelaine Appling, Patrick Wood. Oh, so much going on. So um, I'd say try and keep up, but boy, that's a tall order. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Have a great weekend. <laughs> 